Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. All right, well, welcome to B-Sides. Um, uh, I change a location here today. I am at a friend's house and we are going to grab lunch afterwards and so I thought, well, I'll just record it at your place, and then <laughs> we'll hop on over and feast. Uh, so that's that's the plan. Uh, anyways, welcome to the B-Side. We are uh, going to look at our uh, Sunday's text, which is Revelation chapter 8. Uh, today's, today's passage is really, really uh, powerful. Uh, all the way back in Revelation chapter 5, uh, we were introduced to a scroll uh, in chapter 5. God the Father, sitting on his throne, had a scroll in his right hand, his strong hand, and all of heaven and earth and under the earth was asked, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and silence? Uh, no one, no one was worthy. And John the Apostle, it says that he weeps. Uh, he begins to weep loudly because no one was worthy. Then uh, one of the elders said to John, uh, "Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals." Then Jesus, verse. Uh, seven went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Wow. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I got a coffee delivered this morning. This may be the best B-side yet. (laughs) Um, So Jesus alone, Jesus alone was found worthy, was worthy to take the scroll and open its seven seals. And then chapter six, Jesus starts opening the scroll Uh, by one by one breaking the seven seals and after each of the seven seals were broken uh, either heaven responds or the earth is shaken now the chapter eight the seventh seal uh, finally (laughs) after three chapters of anticipation uh, the seventh seal finally is going to be broken and of course uh, today we see what the the angel takes the censer and, and throws it uh, and then we see the angels respond with the trumpets. So today the last one is, is being opened here. So Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, let's, let's hop in. This is really good. <laughs> when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, people think that the silence, which lasts about a half an hour, is broken by the sound of the throwing of the censure and and the blowing of the first trumpet. And in many ways, that's true. The half hour of silence in heaven is broken by the first trumpet. But 
we would miss something if we didn't notice what else besides general noise has been silenced. As soon as John is taken into heaven in chapter 4, the 24 elders and the angels and the four cherub and the saints, heaven has been one long musical (laughs) since chapter 4. Every few verses, there's new singing, there's new songs, there's new praise music. Uh, Every few verses, we are reading a new worship song, and it's been delightfully consistent. And this is one of the things we we don't want to miss that the music of heaven from from this point on will be silenced. There is no more music in this book until John eats the scroll and the seventh final trumpet is blown. Until the seventh trumpet, there is a lot of noise in heaven, but the worship in heaven has been silenced. And here's what I think we're being clued to, Habakkuk 2.20, Zephaniah 1.7. Heaven has grown quiet in anticipation for what God is going to say or do. And we see pretty quickly in chapter 8 that there's lots of noise going on in heaven, but the church is silented. Heaven has grown silent in anticipation. The church is in a sense, waiting to see what God is going to accomplish. And I won't tease you, I'll tell you what that is. In in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, at some point there is this glorious declaration that the kingdom of God is declared victorious. And it is at that moment that the church re-erupts into praise. The silence of the church is broken that the lamb is victorious and if we want to remember if we want to remember what why what was the church praying all the way back in chapter 6 how long o oh lord how long until you avenge our blood and finally the the final seals open and the church grows quiet we watch and when heaven is declared victorious the church reemerges uh, out of this adoration for what God is and has done, is doing, and will do. Uh, and then eventually, almost immediately after the praise of the church, Satan is then cast down. And then Satan is defeated. And so the, the praise that we see reignited in heaven comes at the defeat of the wicked, uh, which is really cool. But so for right now, when they says that there's silence in heaven for about a half an hour, the church is getting quiet to see what God's going to do, to see how he will administer his justice. Uh, and then, of course, the, 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 the absence of worship is a purposeful admission that we need to see. How does the, the, the voice of the church come back? And that's God's justice in defeating the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light being victorious. Uh, chapter, or sorry, verse 2. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. The seven trumpets were given to them. <laughs> now, one of the things we do when a pastor should do when they're, when they're looking at a book is how else has this imagery or these words or this theme been used already in the book. It's already been laid out. And the reality is we've already seen seven angels in the book of Revelation. They were the seven stars of the church, which were what? They were the seven pastors. So again, we're seeing seven angels again. 
Now, the first question we need to have is, is this the same seven angels already described and defined as God in chapter 1 as the stars of the church, as the pastors from Revelation chapter 2 and 3? Well, I don't think so. Because by, by everything we know about the angels here in chapter 8, this is not the group of seven pastors from earlier, but seems to be the seven angelic beings. So we, we have seven, we have a new seven here, is the point. And interesting, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 19, Gabriel announces himself to Zechariah as, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So, so using biblical language, this is the closest we can get to explaining uh, these the seven who, who are angels who stand in the presence of God. They seem to be high-ranking angels. Now, I am a very uh, curious, curious person, and so I went down the rabbit hole on who these seven may be because I really wanted to know. Uh, and if we, we, we get some insight, if we look to the book of First Enoch. Now, First Enoch is not uh, is not in our Bible. Uh, I don't believe it should be in our Bible, but is quoted and referenced several several times in our Bible and, and, and in the New Testament. First uh, Enoch chapter twenty verse one it names seven archangels who are like Revelation today who are before the who are before the throne of God. Their names are and I may butcher some of these: Uriel, Raphael, Regel, Michael, Siriel, Gabriel, and Ramiel. But of these, uh, of these, Revelation only names one of these angels, and that's Michael in chapter twelve. So. First Enoch, of, of course, is not on par with the Bible, but occasionally it's it's worth looking at. And using it with Revelation 8's context and our Luke 1 reference, I think our best bet is to think that these are some sort of archangels or God's most important angels that are given these trumpets. And maybe Gabriel and Michael are in their number. We, we don't know. We don't want to make a doctrine out of this. This isn't a hill to die on, but but this may be the case of what's happening here. Um, so just something to tuck away for you. And now verse 3. <clears throat> another And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Really, really cool. And um, when you think about <clears throat> when you think about the tabernacle and the temple, I was just talking to Dr. Frank about this. The 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 sacrifices that ascended to God were outside of the holy place and the holy of holies. Uh, the priests, however, were allowed into the holy place. Some were, uh, occasionally for special occasions. There, the incense was offered, which was reminiscent of the prayers of the saints, or prayers of God's people. Uh, but if you look at the how the layout of the tabernacle and the temple were, the altar of incense was the closest thing to the Holy of Holies besides the curtain. Yet it wasn't beyond the curtain. It wasn't in the Holy of Holies. It was just outside between between the, the, uh, the incense lifting to God 
uh, and the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant sat, which was a picture of God's throne, was a giant thick veil, <laughs> which, of course, Jesus broke. Uh, you know, or the Father uh, rent in two when he is when Jesus ascended to the Father and said it was finished. But here, I want you to notice in Revelation, all of the divisions within the temple are gone. The altar, the incense ascends right to the Father, and it doesn't have to pass through any curtain or any wall. So it ascends right to God. So in Christ, all the divisions of the tabernacle and temple have been removed. Really cool. Um, also, something else I find really interesting here. In the opening of Luke's gospel, again, uh, Zechariah, when he was offering uh, incense, it was at the time of the hour of incense, and it says that all the people were praying outside. So in the gospel, according to Luke, uh, the prayers and incense, again, were connected. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. Now, really interesting, I I wanted to figure out why this incense was used. Uh, And the incense was used in the temple, uh, and that's mandated and described all the way back at the second book of the Bible in the book of Exodus. Exodus 30, verses 34 through 38. I want to read it for you. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stack tea, and uh, anisa, and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each there will be equal an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you, and the incense that you shall make according to it, uh, to its composition, you shall not make it for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it uh, to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. I'm absolutely fascinated with one aspect of this this incense uh, in the temple is that it was seasoned with salt. Why would you put salt on incense? I just find that really interesting when, when binding agents are already described. Now, I was thinking about this, praying on this, and, and it really, what hit me really strongly was Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount adds a whole new layer of depth to the incense here. What does Jesus call the church in Matthew chapter 5? The salt of the earth. And in Exodus 30, the salt is said to be pure and holy. Well, in Revelation chapter 8, the saints in heaven who Jesus calls the salt in Matthew 5, the saints in heaven are wearing pure white robes and are holy as they are servants to the Lord in his temple day and night, it says. And here's the point. In today's passage, the incense and the prayers of God's people work together. And this passage seems to shed light on why the incense of Exodus 30 was to be seasoned with salt. It was to show that through Christ, that the incense was to be seasoned with the holy and pure prayers of the saints. And together they would ascend to the Father and be a pleasing aroma to him. So if we do some biblical connections here, maybe Revelation 8 is explaining this pure seasoning of salt on the incense in a, in a, fuller, in a fuller way. Just something really cool to... The pick at yeah. <laughs> if you, if that's your kind of thing, uh, and then verse five. <clears throat> and the angel took 
the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Um, a prayer. I'm kind of, we're going to do something a little different than normal. We're going to continue our theme on prayer a little bit. What, what is prayer? At a root level, it's communication and petition to God. Uh, the incense being offered up here are, are lifting the, the, the saints' requests to God. I, I think of Psalm 141, uh, and there's, we, we sing it in church sometimes. Let my praise, the prayer to you be as incense. Uh, what, we, what we don't want to do is get so lost in the Old Testament connections to today's passage that we miss. Now, I don't know who's calling me from New Jersey, but I ain't interested. <laughs> uh, we don't want to get so wrapped up in all the Old Testament connections that we miss the obvious of today's passage. And that is that the church is asking their father for something. The church is asking their father for intervention. They want justice. Now, I, I believe we, we can know what this request is. Again, if we read Revelation 6, and I want to read what their plea for justice looks like. In Revelation 6, we are shown the prayers of the saints. And when he, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 6, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And when they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. Notice they're calling out for justice. And I, I, find, I find really interesting that our culture, America, uh, in a lot of ways doesn't like justice. Uh, yet, yet in heaven we see that as the church has been brutalized, it's a righteous thing to cry out for justice, to cry for God. As David would say, to smash the teeth of the wicked, as he said over and over and over again in the Psalms. But the saints here, they, they cry out for justice. God, we know you are just. How long until you show your justice, essentially, is what they're praying. And then these prayers are ascend to the Father. And God responded by having an angel then throw fire on the earth <laughs> uh, next to the trumpets. And this fire thrown to the earth, it makes me think of what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, Oh, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the coming wrath? It seemed to be a picture of fire being thrown onto a field. Uh, and so the, the prayers of the saints are going to be answered by fire being thrown onto the earth and then next to the trumpets. Uh, so the, the, the prayers of the saints now are starting to be answered. As we see in, in today's text in Revelation 8, that the prayers of the saints in heaven, it results in great power. With fire being thrown to the earth and lightning and thunders and earthquakes, and I can't help but believe that Jesus, in his revelation, is showing the church the power of prayer now. One of the things that we can, one of the mistakes we can make in the book of Revelation, we could put it all so far into the future that it doesn't really pertain to us. But if that was really the case, then this chapter makes 
has no application for the last 2,000 years of church history, makes, has no, no impact on us today. But that's just not how God operates. He's showing us what happens to the prayers of God's people. They ascend to the very throne of the Father. That yes, in, in heaven, our prayers are going to be used on Judgment Day uh, in the Great Tribulation. But but the church today, and it needs to know that our prayers are brought right to the Father even now. And in fact, th- this is the first thing Jesus told us uh, uh, in the Lord's Prayer. How did he? They said, "Jesus, teach us how to pray." And he goes, "Our Father." He teaches them to seek Dad, and Jesus was providing a way to Dad. And, if we're technical, Jesus also provided a way for dad to us. <laughs> Jesus has provided a, a way for our prayers to ascend right to the Father. The, the Again, that veil between us and God has been torn. The author of Hebrews really unpacks this when he says, approach the throne of grace boldly. We're to approach God boldly in prayer. And in today's passage, again, Jesus is showing us what happens to our prayers. They ascend right to Father, and God has moved into action. He, Luke 10, 2, sends his angels into action for us. Did you know we can call down angels? Jesus even said so on the cross. (laughs) We can call angels as being uh, one of his children. James 5, our prayers have great power. Colossians 1, uh, in prayer, God lavishes us with uh, and equips us with precious gifts. So yes, today we watched what our prayers will do in the Great Tribulation, but we need to know that there's great power in our prayers now. And if we as God's people would study the Word and live the Word and share the Word, as I talked about from First Peter on Sunday, uh, to, to live a life of righteousness, which means to treat our spouses and our kids and our friends and our neighbors and even our enemies with love, our Father who art in heaven will be so pleased with us. You know, one of the things that... I I think it's Mark chapter eleven. It's right after the triumphal entry. Um, it's that it's that picture. It's it's the story of Mark of the fig tree, and Jesus is talking uh, to the to the disciples, and he says, "Surely I could tell you, you could say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it would." And he, he goes to his parable, but then he does this really interesting thing where he talks about prayer, and he talks about forgiveness in prayer. And almost he talks about that our the power in our prayer, it doesn't quite say this, but it seems to, to be part that the power in our prayer and being a, a, his disciple comes from our ability to forgive others. And again, we, we see this over and over and over in scripture that the supernatural is fed from the seemingly ordinary when we just live godly lives. God takes stock of all these things and and supernaturally blesses us through these seemingly ordinary means. And so, um, you know, what, what, what's the passage? What's the passage? The the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, and and what is a righteous man? Well, we see it over and over and over again in Scripture. We see it with Job. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Zechariah. Just faithful people, faithfully serving. And so. If you ever needed a, a chapter in the Bible to encourage you to pray, uh, this is it. This is it. That you know, we, we don't need high lofty prayers. We don't need to have catechisms memorized. We just need to appeal to our dad. To be godly people and appeal to our dad. And he will hear us and he will answer us if it's 
according to his will. Of course, that's the provision in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Our prayers need to be in line with the kingdom and his will. Um, you know, because there are such a thing as bad prayers. <laughs> you may be praying that God gives you a million dollars, and that may be your fastest trip to hell. <laughs> you know, you know, there are those things. But if it's according to His will, then uh, you know, yes, He He will answer. He will absolutely answer. So, um, pray on, saints. Pray on. Let's let's pray, huh? God, we love you. We we praise you. We thank you. We we thank you that when we pray. Our prayers don't go nowhere. They, they ascend to you. We don't deserve it. <laughs> we haven't earned it. We can't boast in it. Our answered prayers are not because we have prayed just the right way, and just the right attitude. No, it's it's all from you. You you are the, the father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We thank you for your consistency and your love and your goodness to us. We thank you for preserving us, for making us salt and preserving us and using us in any capacity. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. Be with us now and encourage us to prayer. and, and, and Help us to be a prayerful people. We do pray. In Jesus' name we love you. Amen. I love you all. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.